And it came to pass in the third year of the desert war that Paul Muad'Dib lay alone in the cave of birds beneath the Kiswa hangings of an inner cell. And he lay as one dead, caught up in the revelation of the water of life, his being translated beyond the boundaries of time by the poison that gives life. Thus was the prophecy made true that Olisan al-Gaib might be both dead and alive. From the Collected Legends of Arrakis by the Princess Irulan. everybody welcome back to another episode of ivor dune with rory voy rory voy has read dune hey and we haven't and that's me austin and you andy that's me over there i, I want to point out that when you came in your energy was very me with your hello uh i don't know i just i, oh, I noticed uh, it. i would like for pointing out things about other people's like you know, affectation. Mm-hmm. I saw you. I saw you start to do Mario and reel it in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's <a> me! <laughs> like that's that's a, um, that's me. <laughs> that does sound like Chris Pratt. I definitely pick up on the the similarity to Chris Pratt. He's so funny. Mario will Man, be talking a lot. He's so cool. <laughs> uh all right everybody we are on our guess what fucking penultimate episode yeah. of i've read dune with rory void the there- correct use of the word yeah we are yeah. almost there we are covering a handful of chapters that will get us right up to the cusp the cusp of the end of dune so yeah but we're gonna edge you you have to wait another <laughs> week for the end <laughs> That's so I need right. you to sustain. I need you to sustain that level of of uh, fun. We'll call it sustain mm-hmm. it for a whole week, mm-hmm. so that we can really take you home at the and then next Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, and it may seem abrupt. Maybe you're surprised by this. Maybe not because you listened to our show and we probably talked about it. But we're also, I mean, it's weird, right? Because we cannot look at how much pages we have left. We can't do the finger and thumb and just sort of like wiggle it like a little a little piece of meat a little pepperoni stick like a little pepperoni (laughs) stick and see how much pepperoni we have (laughs) oh look who's good look who's too good to to have fun with pepperoni (laughs) look who's missing out on all this pepperoni fun but yeah we just have a little stub left and we're we're finishing it Mm -hmm. and hard to believe but here we are here we are. What a way, what a what a journey we've come. On. What a no, what a journey we've come. <laughs> <laughs> we've you know, we've come a journey. And here we are. And uh Rory, why don't you save us here and tell us what chapters we're hearing about 
Why don't you tell us what chapters? <laughs> what are you telling? That's in it. That's staying in. No, it's tell all us, in. Tell us what chapters we're hearing about tonight. <laughs> it's gotta all stay in because I've been I've been chided regularly for mushing my words on this show. So it's it's fun to see Austin uh, apparently lose track of what his tongue's up to tonight. <laughs> Sometimes I can't control it, you know. <laughs> Uh, this week, I believe, uh, we'll have to, we'll have to look to the chronologer of our, of our, uh, <laughs> of our podcast for all this, but I believe we're doing 45, 46, and 47 tonight. That's true, he said, staring at his giant comical watch. <laughs> do I have a watch and a calendar? I think I do. No, it sounds like you have a watch that has the chapters of Dune on it. <laughs> yeah, there's there's just one hand and numbers <laughs> 1 to 48 all the way around. It's uh, sort of like a Jack Sparrow compass, and you think like, hmm, what a, what a, what a strange device. And you're like, mm, uh, oh, how little you know it. Counts down all the chapters of Dune. <laughs> all right. Well then. Uh, well then, forty-five ahoy. Or do we need to? Do we need to kind of cover what happened last time? Uh, well, it's been a, it's been a year and a half. I would I would be uh, interested to hear what you guys remember. But I I am I'm struggling to remember what all we covered last week. So if you guys if you guys have it in your brain chambers, I would love to hear where where you believe we're at. The last thing I remember was. That they were meeting in the the bird cave. Yes, in, cave of birds. In the cave of birds, and Gurney reunited with Paul. And oh they right, were, it was fucking weird. And it was weird, and and I think Gurney's it was just kind of actually figured out that Jessica wasn't the traitor, mm-hmm. or yeah. hasn't yet. I'm not. I well, he he exactly hadn't, remember. and then he, he hadn't figured he like, it out. Paul just told him. Right. He like okay. attacked her or something, and Paul was like, "Bro, bro." You can't be doing that to my mom. Yeah. My mother. Right. My and mother. Then they 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 know that like the the Baron somehow knows now. Like the Sardaukar figured out that Paul's around and he's like, let them come. And so we assume that the the Baron's folks are coming for Paul. And I can't remember what else is going on with the CH. Well, the other the other thing is that Paul got up in front of everyone and was like, I'm not killing Stilgar, okay? Right. That's right. I'm not fucking doing it. This guy's a bro. You all know he's a bro. I'm I'm like a fucking teen. I'm oh, dope, yeah, and he's like, but I'm not that dope. He's like, I may be your like Kwisatz Haderach, Moadib, uh, sick, cool bro of the Fremen, but I'm also your fucking emperor. And so, or your, uh, your yes. duke. You're, I'm, I'm your duke now. I'm your teen duke. Uh, <laughs> this fall Thursday on CBS. On CBS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Teen Duke. <laughs> the fresh Duke of, of Arrakis. And so, and he's like, I will, I'll make it so. It's not the way of, not the way of the Fremen. Well, it's my way or the highway. Cause I can I'm, do both. I'm a Teen Duke. I'm Teen Duke. <laughs> Did we miss anything? Uh, not really. The last thing that happens is uh, Paul decides, although he hasn't done it yet. And I, and I, I'm a, I'm questioning if I brought it up because at because he doesn't do it at the time. I, I wasn't sure if I saved this plot point for later. Mm-hmm. But the way that 45 starts, you kind of need to re- know it. So uh, if I didn't say it last week, I'm saying it now for the very end of 44. Uh, Paul decides to uh, 
solidify once and for all that he, whether he is or isn't the Kwisatz Sadarak, he's going to go through the uh, he's going to drink the water of life that his mother drank and and solve this oh, problem. Oh, the water with the seed in it. Oh, that's yes. right. Dead worm, dead worm water. Now that's a cowboy movie, right? Yeah. Dead, dead worm water. Okay, that's exciting. Okay, uh, so are we about to embark on some sort of Paul Muad'Dib spirit journey? Uh, well, let's get into it. Mm. Let's dune right in. <laughs> I just thought we'd get another one in there for. We just get another one in there real quick. Yeah. Uh, so chapter forty-five. I think I have got two two battling titles for this one. Oh. Uh, you could call it Princess Irulan finally helps out a little bit. Oh shit. <laughs> oh shit. Um. Or you could call it, you know, the callback to Paul's uh, eighth grade chemistry class. Oh, mm. now I like both of these. They're this both is... fun. Mm-hmm. All right, let me pull up that quote. I will have read it for this episode for listeners, but this is the first time it's been like pertinent to the reader to actually get this information when it's delivered. Cool. And it came to pass in the third year of the Desert War that Paul Muad'Dib lay alone in the cave of birds beneath the Kiswa hangings of an inner cell. And he lay as one dead, caught up in the revelation of the water of life, his being translated beyond the boundaries of time by the poison that gives life. Thus was the prophecy made true that the Lisan al-Gaib might be both dead and alive. From the Collected Legends of Arrakis by the Princess Irulan. Dang. So this lays out uh, a decent amount of information that comes to pass between these two chapters, right? Uh, yeah, we're we're given a concrete time for this for this um, this war that Paul's been waging. This is a three year war. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're at the Cave of Birds, uh, Love it. which you might remember, but it's nice to always be reminded. Uh, Paul is in some sort of suspended animation from drinking the water of life, and you remember that. Um, Jessica had a similar experience, right? She was able to to stop time and sort of digest the poison. Yeah. Um, right. She had some kind of like Dragon Ball Z training. <laughs> yeah. Chronological training zone that she could <laughs> hang out with her child um, and be chill for a while. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's the quote. And now we get into uh, we're going to open, though, not on Paul, but on on Cheney, uh, just kind of hanging out, doing her own thing. Uh, she gets a letter from Paul to come meet him in the south. Uh, she's sent an ornithopter, which is apparently uh, quite rare for the Fremen. Who... Now, how do you send a letter on Arrakis? Well, it's not totally clear. I assume that there's th- a reasonable amount of comings and goings between um, patrols and and couriers and whatnot. Like, there's not a postman, but um, mm-hmm. she she... She gets intel uh, with reasonable with reasonable uh, haste. Cool, um, but it is not it is not explained uh, where letters go, uh, who gets them there, and it's how. probably Kevin Costner. It's probably Kevin I Costner. I was going to go with like a fun stork. Oh, you're thinking of babies. <laughs> That's true. I'm sorry, you're thinking of babies. <laughs> uh, so she she uh, responds to the letter. She uh, she gets in the chopper and flies south. Uh, and she does not meet Paul Muad'Dib Atreides, but, uh, but Lady Jessica, who knows that Paul has been, uh, in this deep slumber. And that's why he's brought Cheney. That's why she has brought Cheney to, to meet her. Cause shit's not, not dope. 
because Jessica was out for, you know, an unclear amount of time, but not long, not long right. enough for concern. Uh, Paul's apparently been in this in this uh, suspended period for three weeks. Oh, fuck. He's faking it. <laughs> He's just faking it. <laughs> Classic Chalamet. When they leave the room, he, he like opens one eye and is like, Ugh, and then he pulls out his video games and he just fucking is like, finally, some time to myself. They catch him sneaking out for fruit by the foot. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just makes like he's been sleepwalking. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that'd be very good. <laughs> so at the moment, uh, Jessica believes that Paul has been poisoned by either the Sardaukar or some some turncoat. Uh, Given how almost nobody drinks the water of life and usually they're reverend mothers and can handle it. Uh, so she's brought Cheney to help her revive Paul. Um, do a sleeping beauty. Yeah, just we got to you got to kiss him and make it better. Let your love's kiss. So as Jessica is recounting, you know, the time that that Paul was uh, what what Paul's, you know, comings and goings were up to this point. Cheney believes she's figured it out, uh, probably because is a bit of a left turn. But, you know, perhaps uh, in their in their intimate talks, he's brought up trying to trying to drink that water of life. So at some point, Cheney kind of connects the dots and is like, uh, I think this was I think this was water of life. I think this was super spice. Super spice? No, nobody says super spice. I said that. Okay, okay. great. But also, I, mean, I do. I like the idea that Paul and you know, like Paul and Shani Cheney are hanging around the house, and she's like, "Yeah, what if I did drink that big nasty <laughs> spice water?" Like Paul, <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah, but what if I? What if I did drink that big nasty water? <laughs> you drank it. I should get to drink it. Paul, I swear to God, if I come back and you've drank the big nasty water, we are going to have <laughs> words. When Jessica comes back with some water of life, they uh, they sort of give Paul a little bit of smelling salt with it. And uh, it does spice. seem to. Yeah, it does seem to perk him up a bit, although he's not he's not revived. So it gave him like a like a boner. Well, I guess so the suspended animation, he was, I guess, not even breathing or breathing so lightly as to not notice it. And oh. it gave him like a regular breath. He took a sniff. Got it. Cheney will ask Jessica to turn some of it into the fun water that the Fremen use for parties. If you remember that part of uh, the last I, time. I, I like, do. Jessica I drank the water of life. No. So th- there's the water of life that only the Reverend Mothers can drink. But the process they use to digest it. They can use to basically turn it into, into a sort of uh, semi-religious party drug, or orgy orgy water. The orgy water. Orgy water. Because I <laughs> I have heard now from Coca Cola. I've heard that you've withheld that there was an orgy. It's not called an orgy at that time in the book. The spice orgy. Okay. And it is not. And it is also not in practice a literal orgy. It's a it's an orgy of spice. Okay, uh, so now, it's a little more like sometimes like the, when you're doing a bunch of spice, an orgy happens. But, <laughs> I see, you know, <laughs> but no one can what, be blamed for that. So there maybe there were pockets, there were pockets of orgies. I likened it to Woodstock, right? Uh-huh. Nobody was there to have sex; they were there to do a bunch of drugs and listen to tunes. But but you know, one thing happened. leads to another. But sex right. happened at Woodstock. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. Really, really blowing the story wide open. Sex happened at Woodstock. <laughs> Man, you should have been there during uh, WaterCon <laughs> when when the the woman drank that nasty water. 
Oh my God. And she pissed out all the fun water. And that's when you were born, son. (laughs) That's where you, that's where you were conceived. Yeah. So uh, before Jessica has a chance to turn the water into fun water, um, Paul wakes right up, wakes right up, gets right up on his, on his, yeah. And he tells, he tells uh, Cheney and Jessica, and he was like, how long, how long was I out? And they were like three weeks. And he's like, I had, I had literally one drop. It was, this was a test run. This wasn't. Oh, uh, this wasn't the real deal, but I guess it was the real deal. Damn. I mean, has he woken up with a different understanding of the universe or not really like uh, like the um, the Gom Jabbar? It, this is more of a survival test than a mm. than a serious revelation. Although what he does learn, he learns of the place that Revan Brothers dare not go in the sort of psychic uh, temple they all share. Oh, oh right. we had this mentioned before. This was uh, we we found out about this when 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 Jessica was in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, what was it called? Uh, the other place. Ah, okay, yeah. So, uh, Paul asks Jessica to uh, to take him there, to take him back there, and and so he can walk through the door. Jessica will also realize now for sure that her son is the Quisette Sidorak. and uh, the one who can be many places at once. This that's the sort of prophecy term. To describe, but we already knew about Paul, right? That he can see this sort of kaleidoscopic version of the future. Yeah. Where, mm-hmm. Yeah. Where he can see many futures and, and is sort of constantly sort of trying to navigate which path to take. Well, congratulations, uh, Paul. Yeah. You, you did it, boy. <laughs> and we get a, a kind of fun description of it. We're like, so Jessica's going to ask him if he can see the future. And Paul's like, I don't really, I see so many futures as to be somewhat unuseful. What I see is all of these options that collate into a a best course of action for the now, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but he can see, I guess, uh, through his through his vision powers, through his through his future powers, the guild spaceships that are that are circling the planet that are looking for him now. Uh, the Baron is with them, and so is the Emperor. Oh shit! Emperor is here. The Emperor Ooh. is here, and oh my uh, god, with his available daughter. Yeah, <laughs> these people are have run out of patience for the mysterious Muad'Dib. Damn, and they're ready to to go to go get him right in the Chalamets. They run around the Chalamets. So this is where this is where the the an un, an unknown amount of uh, chemistry skills ha- it will re-enter our chapter because Paul's got a Paul's got a cool plan. He wants to. So if Jessica can change some of the water of life to the to the fun spice orgy party water then they'll put that water above within uh, around one of their large pre-spice masses and if the two were to combine it creates the water of death uh killing all the little makers that they have and that will sort of taint taint the spice production and the worms on the planet arrakis forever hold on okay hold on i've got a lot of questions okay Okay, first of all, so water of life plus pre-spice equals water of death? Mm-hmm. Okay, and then it'll kill the little makers? The ones that are right there. So their their pre-spice mass is like the sort of worm, uh, what would you call it? A uh, Is it worm semen? A nursery. They're, they're worm nursery, right? They've got all the uh, little worms. Then that's oh, why there's all this pre-spice mass. Huh. You know, man, I was never able to get up early enough for pre-spice mass. <laughs> and uh, when asked why he wants to do this, Paul explains, like, 
they're like, well, we can't destroy the spice. That's our most powerful asset. And he's like, the pe- if you can destroy the spice, you are the or anything, you're the one who truly has the control over it. You have this power because you not only control who has access to it, but it's exi- it's very existence, right? Mm-hmm. We need this. We need this trump card going into into this the new business. So he's rigging some sort of horrible nuclear option that's going to ruin all spice on the planet. Mm-hmm. Terrifying. Okay, great. But it would theoretically what like kill the Baron? I don't uh, understand. No, Is it, it, no, it's a don't fuck with us or I'll ruin all spice. Oh, Paul knows for sure in a way that has only been speculated. Although we've talked about it because the novel doesn't quite present it as speculation. But to be fair, in the diegesis of the novel, this has not been spoken yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul now knows that the spacing guild, in no uncertain terms, needs this spice. It's not an aid the way it is to the Benny Gesserits or the Mentats. Uh, oh. It is it is a necessary part of their ability to uh, navigate intergalactic travel. So they have like a hundred percent chokehold on yeah the empire basically yeah by by withholding this. Okay, okay. So it's it's almost it's almost like he has strapped like a you know C four to his chest or something, and he's got the detonator. And well, he's kind like, of the fremen. The spice is very important to the fremen, but it is not life or death. The way yeah. it's, it's 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 a cultural aspect of their of their uh, uh, culture, um, but they don't use it to navigate Arrakis, right? They don't. Right. Mm-hmm. They don't need it for sustenance. It's it's just a uh, it's a thing that grants them insight into their into their lives, and it and it is a valuable part of their uh, existence. But it is not it is not necessary for them the way it is necessary for the spacing guild right so for the fremen the real spice was the friends they made along the way that's right yeah okay but not so for the spacing guild but not so for the not so for the chome <laughs> yeah we just, haven't heard the chome companies s- met in a while <laughs> can't just call somebody a chome <laughs> <laughs> that's chapter 45 y'all nice okay, okay. chapter 46 you guys mm. i think i have to call two guys an Usol and and a Dune place. Okay, and a Dune place. Because <laughs> uh, uh, this whole chapter is going to be Paul Stilgar and Gurney Halleck standing on top of a Dune. Oh, baby! No, oh, baby! The full oh. Dune, right the there. The full Dune. Yeah, that's a that's a five alarm hunk alert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the three of them uh, are on their Dune. They're looking at. Uh, Basically, the Emperor's troops have all landed, and they're looking at the war camp. Uh, Paul is is bemused that they believe that they're all safe behind the shield wall, the same shield wall that was already penetrated once in this novel. Mm-hmm. Wait, so who's the they? Uh, the Emperor and the Harkonnens okay. and the Chome. So Everybody's maybe not the literally. They might not literally be in the city. The troops are in the city. Okay. The Emperor has brought his full court to the battleground. Women servants, uh, the whole, the whole, uh, and court meaning the sort of, uh, or in a, in a, in an Arthurian sense, the sort yeah. of castle, the castle up, upkeep, the people who make the, the people who make the house run. Totally. Mm. So there is, there is a, uh, huge storm inbound that Paul plans to use as their, as their cover to this battle that is okay. incipient. Gurney is being gloomy. And Stilgar's Aww. like, I don't like how this guy's always frowning right before we go kill Harkonnens. 
That's like this should be a smile time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul tells Paul tells <laughs> Stuttgart, be a smile time. <laughs> and Paul tells Stuttgart like, oh, he's always sad before a fight. And Stuttgart's like, really? And he's like, yeah, but he likes being gloomy. He likes being extra dour. This is what he's is what he does on purpose. I mean, he's a musician, you know. <laughs> yeah, he does like horny rock guitar. And then Gurney smiles in acknowledgement that he does that he does get super emo before a battle on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. I like that they they definitely like called out that aspect of him in the movie with that one like throwaway line early on, right? With like I don't know that I remember it off the top of my head. Yeah, it's like when they're standing waiting for the, you know, the official herald or whatever. Oh, at the that's of the right. Movie. Like, and he's like, smile, Gurney. He's like, I am smiling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Somebody else while we're on that, uh, somebody called out the other day. They thought it was hilarious that they basically only gave the Frank Herbert dialogue to Josh Brolin. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is um, this sort of amusing. He gets sort of the the wordier, the wordier <laughs> stuff from the book. Which may have been a, just a way to make him a little more present in the movie because he is he's quite absent from he's almost gone. Yeah, he's almost gone from it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Gurney will ask a question because Paul uh, has said that they're they're planning to use atomic weapons to blow to blow open this the shield wall. And Gurney is going to be like, uh, we can't do that because, you know, the Great Convention states that no atomics may be used against humans. And um, Paul what? is going to. Sorry. Sorry, did we go know ahead. did we know about the Great Convention? We don't know about the Great Convention, and we don't know really where Paul has gotten his atomic weaponry, other than perhaps millennia in the future, it's fairly easy to manufacture and obtain. And the Great Convention would be the only thing stopping people from from using uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. So or he just sort of found one at the Could be. Could be it's just a recovered atomic weapon. It's really it's really unexplained in this in this moment. Okay. And uh spoiler continues to remain unexplained. They've oh, got great. atomics. <laughs> they're going to use them on the shield. Gurney says, well, what about the convention that, you know, that we can't just use atomics on humans? Paul, uh, king of the technicality, says, we're using atomics on shields, and that's okay. <laughs> shields are people, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Paul's Paul's already sort of becoming a real general over here. Yeah. Well, I love it. No, I don't. I, only, I love that, you know, because, again, I do believe he's this sort of like, Real, he's used technicalities like, oh, but I could be Paul Muad'Dib, and that's a different yes. person, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. A real shitlord about it. <laughs> yeah, he, he's the, oh God, he's the worst person to play board games with. Just he would to be. Rules lawyer his well, way around rules everything. Rules is written. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing they're waiting for, basically, uh, is for somebody to raise any kind of flag stating like the dom- like the dominant party here. Because uh, there's some there's some there's some doubt and Abby shit happening. So basically, there's a possibility somebody's going to raise the Atreides flag in recognition that the Atreides have not relinquished the the planet. It's still technically in a you know the fiefdom of of the Atreides household. There's the chance it could be the Harkonnen flag as just a straight fuck you to Paul, uh, who mm-hmm. they don't know actually is Paul. Um, okay, because. Even though now it has been three weeks since they released those Harkonnen uh, prisoners, they were released on foot. Oh, so okay. these guys are just walking to Arakeen this whole yeah. time. And Paul actually spots him kind of like somewhere somewhere in the desert. He's like, oh, there's oh, the hey, guys look. we let go. <laughs> <laughs> They're getting pretty close. Okay, well, let's do a flyby. <laughs> 
Uh, it could be the Emperor's flag as a as a signal that he's you know he's here and he's taking control of the planet. Uh, mm-hmm. What goes up is the the Chome flag, huh? And what does the Chome flag look like? Do they describe it? Most uh, they do, but just in colors. And uh, mm. I think it's like blue, black, and yellow. Oh, sorry, I thought I heard Andy typing. I thought he was. I am clarifying. Oh, is it? Did you look it up? You know I am. So. It looks like it's on a flat yellow field, and it is a uh, it is a, a just a circle, and it's bisected with a, a flat diameter in the middle. And the top half of the circle is red, and the bottom half of the circle is black. So it's red, black, and yellow. Okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, basically, this is the sort of shit lore technicality flag that the emperor chooses to raise, as <laughs> like you know the company doesn't have any royal status, and therefore is not a sort of sign of war or peace it's like it's mostly a signal to the to the chome who are all gathering around arrakis up in the sky uh very upset at this royal debauchery that is bro that's um, our spice bro come on yeah threatening their need it uh so paul gets an update that the storm is is closing in they're going to use it as uh both an amplification factor for their attack on the shield as well as Potentially cover for their, you know, for their invasion. They're all, the Fremen don't give a shit about sandstorms. Sure. No. No. Um, but I guess in terms of, like, logistics for, uh, you know, a sci-fi novel that sometimes has to account for things that people can do in the future, uh, this sandstorm is big enough that no ships will be able to leave. So, like, anybody here is here, right? Once the shield goes down, mm. if you're here, you're here. Now, have they picked up their badges yet uh, for the Great Convention? Yeah. God, you've just been formulating that for minutes. <laughs> you've just been <laughs> sitting on that for minutes, waiting for just an open breath of air. And he, to... and he didn't have it, so he just took he took the best shot he could get. <laughs> Look, I'm feeling nostalgic for the early days of the podcast, you know? <laughs> Where we and weren't just sure. quite so invested. <laughs> I just, you know... Got to bring some of it back before the end here, you know? <laughs> the storm hits. Gurney will activate the uh, the atomics that they have uh, set in the rocks around the around Arrakis, or around Arrakeen, rather, uh, to, to shadow the shield. And uh, it's go time. Damn. Well, so they detonate nukes, and I assume it brings down the wall, or do we not know yet? Is it kind of just like things are about to happen? It doesn't say exactly at, at this moment, but uh, there is the the there is a contingent that uh, heads into these tunnels beneath the city uh, that they've either just dug or have always been there that the fremen know about. Uh huh. Um, so if there was if the shields were preventing them from using the tunnels, then that would be a signal that the shield is down. Otherwise, this is kind of everything's happening at once. Got it. Got, got it. it. And also, how who do we know from the uh, Baron's people are there? I mean, I assume obviously Raban is there, but do we know is uh, Fade is Fade there or is he? We have no idea. We don't know yet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in the tunnels, Paul is gonna be delivered a letter <laughs> similar to uh, <laughs> to Cheney. Somebody runs up with a letter. Everything's exploding. They're going. With, they're about to attack the city. Uh, they're telegram. going through the tunnels. Oh, yeah, of course. Everyone, hold up. I got a telegram. Telegram for Paul Atreides. Telegram. Yeah, I'll, I'll sign for that. I'm Paul. Uh, <laughs> while they were here at the at the attack site, the assault site, um, 
there was a raid on Siech Tabor. Ooh. The uh, uh, Harkonnens or the Sardaukar, whomever, has taken Aaliyah and Paul's son, Leto, has been killed. Oh, fuck. Fuck. So we get oh. that in a letter. So Yeah, that's... Oh, just... shit. Okay, then. That's... That fucking sucks. Fucking sucks. I j- can't... How hard is it to be a Leto on Arrakis? <laughs> Very, God, I think. Yeah. That sucks. What about Chani? Is she with them? Uh, she is not with them, but she was in the south at the Cave of Birds. Oh, right. She left... Okay, so she left the kid and came down to... to yeah, all right. Uh, that's the chapter, my boys. Fuck, okay. that's an awful way to end a chapter. And it would have been an awful way to end an episode, but we still got, oh, one, more. We got one more. Chapter 47, y'all. Mm. Chapter 47, y'all. The one where we cut back to what's going on in the castle proper. Oh. Because we had to get one more. We had to get one more castle chapter in. We're going to get two more castle chapters. Uh, oh. <laughs> Uh, Baron Harkin is in the Imperial Audience Chamber, the special place where you meet the Emperor, I guess. Yeah. The chamber for the Emperor's chamber in your house that you don't use. It's like the good China, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> you know, we have it sort of symbolically, but <laughs> some lesser house has a chamber and it's full of dust, and they're like, I bet the Emperor will visit us one day and we'll finally use this room. Well, you know, I just keep my I keep my queen's room locked away in case the queen visits. Um, mm-hmm. But otherwise, I mean, I'd have to dust it if I know she's coming. <laughs> uh, we've also got the Reverend Mother guy as Helen Mohayim is there. Oh, that old bag of bones. That old bag of bones. I'm glad she's here, though. The Emperor will uh, question the Baron about where Hawat is and uh, why he's like been permitted to live. Uh, the Baron will briefly explain the whole uh, poison antidote situation, how it's no big <laughs> deal. Right. Then the Emperor wants to know more about what the Baron has figured out about Mood. Mood. Oh, my God. The Baron wants to figure out. Oh, my God. The Emperor wants to figure out what the Baron knows about Muad'Dib. Which is very little, right? Pretty little. The Baron uh, says he's just some guy. He's just some guy in the desert. And and the emperor's like, well, you're losing a war to him. And he's like, well, it's his war. He's uh, he hasn't come to the city, right? Like he's killing guys. I, if you want to call that a war, I, that's on you, I guess. Mm-hmm. Then the emperor summons this this little girl they've captured, and it's Aaliyah. Oh, so now now the little girl's in this you know room with all these royalty type folks. And I'm gonna guess she's gonna get spooky, but that's just me. She's gonna get a little spooky. Yes. The Emperor is going to be furious at, uh, so Ali has been brought in. Now we're going to kind of sort of sh- change topics. There's just a spooky girl in the room for a little bit. <laughs> uh, so he has also sent in five troop carriers to pick up prisoners for questioning. Uh, and all of them, basically all these old Fremen women and children, all uh, the, all the people who were not part of the, the Fadaikin or the normal Fremen fighting force, uh, which is the elderly and children for the most part. Right. Totally. Okay. And were these from the raid on, on the CH? From on CH Tabor. Uh supposedly, although it is not actually laid out one to one. Okay. Yeah. How these Fremen all just beat the shit out of the Sardaukar. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. uh one carrier managed to escape from getting their shit rocked, uh, and have brought three prisoners, uh, one of which is Aaliyah. And Aaliyah will be like, Hey, and by the way, 
I came on purpose to be here. <laughs> <laughs> You're stuck in here with me. <laughs> uh, the emperor is going to accuse the baron of um, being in on this whole shebang, on this whole uh, everything going to shit because of how poorly he's running the planet. Hell yeah. And the baron starts kind of starting to spiral out of control and blame everybody around him for all of his all of his many failings. A classic tactic. Uh-huh. Of, uh, of a cornered dictator. But because the Reverend Mother is there, she will sort of intervene a little bit and be like, he might be a dipshit, but he's not lying. He's not. But he's on, our he's, dipshit. He's, but he's our dipshit. <laughs> the Emperor is blown away that the Baron never figured out that Aaliyah is Duke Leto's daughter. Hmm. And how did they figure it out? Does she I think the Reverend, the Reverend Mother must have must have uh, given him a little bit of heads up. Mm hmm. Uh, the Reverend Mother uh, does not like this little kid, by the way, and she wants the Emperor to kill her. Uh, she's an abomination. She's what was, you know, what all the Benny Gesserit know must can never be. And yet here she stands. I see. Right. Because she was like, she, well, yeah, because she's spooky. I yeah, because she's spooky. Uh, supposedly, not all Reverend Mothers, I don't think, go through the water of life trials. Only the Reverend Mother of the Fremen did. But mm-hmm. uh, I guess... The Bene Gesserit have got wind of what I mean. They they've been on this planet and they and they have been so intentionally. Uh, right, Jessica didn't know about it, but there was a Reverend Mother here. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So the Bene Gesserit are, are are I think more aware of the goings and comings of the Fremen than than was being let on. Well, because probably because they have that dope ass orgy water. <laughs> Pepsi's response to vitamin water. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Emperor is gonna say, uh, "Let's all." Let's all get back up into space. Nothing's going right down here. Uh, let's regroup. This would be our, I think, slight uh, a signal to the chronology of events that's happening. Because as we know from the previous chapter, at the time of the invasion, it's no longer possible to escape to space. So this is a flashback of some, you know, uh-huh. to some sometime. Yeah. But Elise going to run over to the Baron. And uh, he's going to grab her. She makes some pretty funny comments about him, too. And I wish I wrote them the exact wording down. Is she uh, like, she, grandpapa, grandpapa? She does. <laughs> she does allude to their to their lineage. But also she calls him such a weak minded fool that he can't even, you know, he's like he's so weak in his mind that he's, uh, you know, let himself get all fat and can't walk without his magic suspenders. And she's mm-hmm. a toddler. She's a toddler. From the mouths of babes, you know, mm-hmm. they say the darndest things. Uh, so the Baron grabs her, and uh, this is going to be pretty unprecedented in terms of what we have seen foreshadowed. In terms of Chekhov's guns, there's about to be a couple, and they have not been established. Okay. Uh, Aaliyah is about to say, you're about to face the Atreides Gom Jabbar, bitch. She pulls out a needle and stabs him and kills him. Oh, Whoa. <laughs> fuck! What the elite? What the uh, what the Atreides going to bars? We don't know. Uh, <laughs> this is but, Atreides uh-huh. style. Atreides style. <laughs> she just ices him then and there. Holy shit! Damn. A, to- a fucking toddler. Uh, just just yeah, popped his balloon. <laughs> you're you're about to face the Atreides going to bar. Yeah. Bam. <laughs> All right, now, Aaliyah, just like we practiced. Okay, Paul, but what if I... No, Aaliyah, you'll be very brave. But will I change after I murder a man? Will I be forever different? I don't give a shit. (laughs) You're creepy as hell. I hope you change. 
This will be information you technically learn next chapter, but uh, Aaliyah's well versed in the slaying of Sardaukar. She's she's a toddler monster. Oh Whoa! God. I how are they gonna film that? <laughs> um. Yeah, boy, I don't know. <laughs> boy, I don't know. It's gonna be uh, like it's gonna be like prequels, Yoda. None of her. <laughs> no. Yeah. None of her like battlefield prowess is on quote unquote camera in the book. Yeah. Uh, she does ice. She does ice the Baron, though. That should yeah, that yeah. that'll happen. They have. I mean, they'd have to like age her up a bit, right? Somehow, probably. I don't know. Probably. I, so the I the girl they did for Lynch's, the Lynch movie in Lynch's, yeah. she looks about six or seven. She looks pretty yeah. young. Like she, so she looks six or seven. The way if you got a you got an older kid who could maybe pull off five. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I f- just feel like you need to. You need to nudge that dial a little closer to Arya Stark than you know a ba- an actual baby. Just practically, unless you want to, <laughs> unless you animate, unless like you said, you want to animate her Yoda style. Like, yeah, I don't- you're gonna have a hard time getting a baby to do to learn stunt choreography. <laughs> yeah. yeah. God, I'm having such a tough time working with this baby. Yeah, they do not. They do not learn choreo very well. I'm gonna have to take this straight to Denis. <laughs> so then the shield gets knocked out. Uh, the Sardaukar come in and, and sort of grab the Emperor and retreat. And they see the Fremen riding in, riding into the shields on big-ass worms and being all, being fucking badass. Yeah. yeah, yeah uh, yeah. The Emperor will order the Reverend Mother to go bring him Count Fenring, who is, I guess, also here. The previous Count, the previous governor of Arrakis. And why did they want- the Atreides. Uh, he just they- wants Count Fenring. He wants him safe. It's time to it's okay. time to devise a new plan. Bring me my counts and dukes. <laughs> Have either of you guys watched Barry? No, no, oh, no, I haven't. It's very good, um, a, like very, very good. But there is the, one of their like stunt choreographers uh, just told them one day while they were like working on working on some action scene, like, "Hey, by the way, if you guys want to do something next season with this, I have." You know, like an eight-year-old girl who is a prodigy, like a martial arts prodigy. So that could be funny, right? And, and then they and they wrote in, that into the show. They like, write oh, in yeah. like a kid who's gonna just completely murder everybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's very funny. Well, I suppose it's not every it's not every you know every season or whatever that you have at your your disposal a a child who is not only really good at martial arts and quite young, but also like good on camera. You know? Yep. Yep. Because, boy, if it isn't 90% of kids are bad on camera, I don't know what that percentage sort is. Sort of a but spoiler. I th- they, I, I don't know that she was like an actor or if she was just, because the way they use her, they make her kind of like a feral child. She do, I don't think she has any dialogue. Oh, oh. My gosh, I see. <laughs> She's just this sort of like total, total terrorizing agent of chaos. <laughs> like a Flintstones toddler. Yeah. What do you do when there's like a very lethal child? And you're like, well, it's a fun prom. It's a fun premise, right? Like, how do I handle a really problem, like a child who is poses a serious threat, but is nonetheless yeah. some sort of is, is not old enough for me to want to kill. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, Rory. So that's that's the end of the chapter, right? Yep, that's the episode. Holy shit! Yeah, I'm I'm just still like reeling a little bit from everything yeah, a lot happened we attacked the whole happened. city and we killed baron harkonnen and by we i mean just this toddler baby and also baron uh paul's baby died dead yes 
there's, yeah, I mean, shit is collapsing all over. But yeah, I mean, I can't believe that's how the Baron goes this whole time. I had no idea. It's bold. It's a bold, a bold choice. I guess I didn't know that he only lasted one book. Mm. Ah. You know, I I wasn't sure. I had a feeling this would be his. his (laughs) On on some level, we do need some sort of like catharsis on that front, right? Although it's fun. It's fun both. There there is a denial of catharsis a little bit, but there's also Mm -hmm. this like this person who has been so, so destructively villainous does not get a a sort of ceremonious villainous send off, right? A swashbuckling yeah, yeah. end, right? Uh, like yeah. A... He's just iced by a baby in a single sentence. <laughs> <laughs> iced, iced baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay, well, that's our, that's our cliffhanger. We only got one more week of, of this book, Dune. And uh, I'm really excited. Spoiler alert. We get to go record that right now, and you have to wait a week. Who's who? Who's uh? Who's the winner now? I think it's us. I think we win. We win. <laughs> we no, still haven't read Dune. We <laughs> still haven't read it. God, Meanwhile, I've read you. Dune two more times for this book. <laughs> 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 uh, it's lonely at the top. <laughs> Hey, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you want to hear more shows from us, we have two more for you. The Infinite Backlog is our extremely exciting Marvel podcast where we started at 1961 and we move forward with way too much reading. Wham, bam, pow. (laughs) And you get to hear almost every week Rory and Shane complain about how much reading it is. There's so much reading. It's always Warlock. (laughs) It comes out most Saturdays. Saturday morning, Tuesdays, you guys, it's the show that started it all. Uh, You can hear me, Rory and Andy, and we are on this journey most Tuesdays where we are looking through the weirdest and wildest, coolest and droolest uh, (laughs) cartoons, children's cartoons, adult cartoons from all across the spectrum of time. We're going to cover your favorite show. Maybe we're going to talk about the ones you hate. Probably. (laughs) And it's a great, wonderful time. So be sure to catch that. And of course, if you enjoyed this show or any of our shows, really, and you want to support us, we do have a Patreon chock full of bonus content. Everything from videos to sound clips to even some fun art that I get to make for you once a month. Um, And, you know, even if you can't support us monetarily, if you don't have anything to give, we would just love it if you joined our Discord and send us memes. Um, send memes to us all day long. Keep us awake all night long with your memes. We love memes. We consume them. Just ruin us with your memes. <laughs> Please ruin us with your memes. As always, our links are in the episode description. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thanks, everybody. Laters. Laters.